Section 22 of Volume 1D of History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. History of England from the Invasion of Julius Caesar to the Revolution of 1688 by David Hume. Volume 1D, Section 22 chapter forty one part two these articles providing for the security of england in case of its annexation to the crown of france opened but a dismal prospect to the english had not the age of elizabeth who was now in her forty-ninth year contributed very much to allay their apprehensions of this nature the queen also as a proof of her still remaining uncertainty, added a clause that she was not bound to complete the marriage till further articles which were not specified should be agreed on between the parties, and till the King of France be certified of this agreement. Soon after, the Queen sent over Walsingham as ambassador to France in order to form closer connections with Henry, and enter into a league offensive and defensive against the increasing power and dangerous usurpations of Spain. The French king, who had been extremely disturbed with the unquiet spirit, the restless ambition, the enterprising yet timid and inconstant disposition of Anjou, had already sought to free the kingdom from his intrigues, by opening a scene for his activity in Flanders, and having allowed him to embrace the protection of the states, had secretly supplied him with men and money for the undertaking. The prospect of settling him in England was, for a like reason, very agreeable to that monarch, and he was desirous to cultivate, by every expedition, the favourable sentiments which Elizabeth seemed to entertain towards him. But this princess, though she had gone further in her amorous dalliance than could be justified or accounted for by any principles of policy, was not yet determined to carry matters to a final conclusion, and she confined Walsingham, in his instructions, to negotiating conditions of a mutual alliance between France and England. Henry, with reluctance, submitted to hold conferences on the subject, but no sooner had Walsingham begun to settle the terms of alliance than he was informed that the Queen, foreseeing hostility with Spain to be the result of this confederacy, had declared that she would prefer the marriage with the war, before the war, without the marriage. The French court, pleased with this change of resolution, broke off the conferences concerning the League, and opened a negotiation for the marriage. But matters had not long proceeded in this train, before the Queen again declared for the League in preference to the marriage, and ordered Walsingham to renew the conferences for that purpose. Before he had leisure to bring this point to maturity, he was interrupted by a new change of resolution and not only the court of France, but Walsingham himself, Burley, and all the wisest ministers of Elizabeth, 
were in amazement doubtful where this contest between inclination and reason love and ambition would at last terminate in the course of this affair elizabeth felt another variety of intentions from a new contest between her reason and her ruling passions the duke of anjou expected from her some money by which he might be enabled to open the campaign in flanders and the queen herself though her frugality made her long reluctant was sensible that this supply was necessary and she was at last induced after much hesitation to comply with his request she sent him a present of a hundred thousand crowns by which joined to his own demesne and the assistance of his brother and the queen dowager he levied an army and took the field against the prince of parma he was successful in raising the siege of cambray and being chosen by the states governor of the netherlands he put his army into winter quarters and came over to england in order to prosecute his suit to the queen the reception which he met made him expect entire success and gave him hopes that elizabeth had surmounted all scruples and was finally determined to make choice of him for her husband in the midst of the pomp which attended the anniversary of her coronation she was seen after long and intimate discourse with him to take a ring from her own finger and to put it upon his and all the spectators concluded that in this ceremony she had given him a promise of marriage and was even desirous of signifying her intentions to all the world st aldegondi ambassador from the states dispatched immediately a letter to his masters informing them of this great event and the inhabitants of antwerp who as well as all the other flemings regarded the queen as a kind of titular divinity testified their joy by bonfires and the discharge of their great ordnance a puritan of lincoln's inn had written a passionate book which he entitled the gulf in which england will be swallowed by the french marriage he was apprehended and prosecuted by order of the queen and was condemned to lose his right hand as a libeller such was the constancy and loyalty of the man that immediately after the sentence was executed he took off his hat with the other hand and waving it over his head cried god save the queen but notwithstanding this attachment which elizabeth so openly discovered to the duke of anjou the combat of her sentiments was not entirely over and her ambition as well as prudence rousing itself by intervals still filled her breast with doubt and hesitation almost all the courtiers whom she trusted and favoured leicester hatton and walsingham discovered an extreme aversion to the marriage and the ladies of her bedchamber made no scruple of opposing her resolution with the most zealous remonstrances among other enemies to the match sir philip son of sir henry sidney deputy of ireland and nephew to leicester a young man the most accomplished of the age declared himself and he used the freedom to write her a letter in which he dissuaded her from her present resolution 
with an unusual elegance of expression as well as force of reasoning he told her that the security of her government depended entirely on the affection of her protestant subjects and she could not by any measure more effectually disgust them than by espousing a prince who was son of the perfidious catherine brother to the cruel and perfidious charles and who had himself imbrued his hands in the blood of the innocent and defenceless protestants that the catholics were her mortal enemies and believed either that she had originally usurped the crown or was now lawfully deposed by the pope's bull of excommunication and nothing had ever so much elevated their hopes as the prospect of her marriage with the duke of anjou that her chief security at present against the efforts of so numerous rich and united a faction was that they possessed no head who could conduct to their dangerous enterprises and she herself was rashly supplying that defect by giving an interest in the kingdom to a prince whose education has zealously attached him to that communion that though he was a stranger to the blood royal of england the dispositions of men were now such that they preferred the religious to the civil connections and were more influenced by sympathy in theological opinions than by the principles of legal and hereditary government that the duke himself had discovered a very restless and turbulent spirit and having often violated his loyalty to his elder brother and his sovereign there remained no hopes that he would passively submit to a woman whom he might in quality of husband think himself entitled to command that the french nation so populous so much abounding in soldiers so full of nobility who were devoted to arms and for some time accustomed to serve for plunder would supply him with partisans dangerous to a people unwarlike and defenceless like the generality of her subjects that the plain and honourable path which she had followed of cultivating the affections of her people had hitherto rendered her reign secure and happy and however her enemies might seem to multiply upon her the same invincible rampart was still able to protect and defend her that so long as the throne of france was filled by henry or his posterity it was in vain to hope that the ties of blood would ensure the amity of that kingdom preferably to the maxims of policy or the prejudices of religion and if ever the crown devolved on the duke of anjou the conjunction of france and england would prove a burden rather than a protection to the latter kingdom that the example of her sister mary was insufficient to instruct her in the danger of such connections and to prove that the affection and confidence of the english could never be maintained where they had such reason to apprehend that their interests would every moment be sacrificed to those of a foreign and hostile nation that notwithstanding these great inconveniences discovered by past experience the house of burgundy it must be confessed was more popular in the nation than the family of france and what was of chief moment philip was of the same communion with mary 
and was connected with her by this great band of interest and affection and that however the queen might remain childless even though old age should grow upon her the singular felicity and glory of her reign would preserve her from contempt the affections of her subjects and those of all the protestants in europe would defend her from danger and her own prudence without other aid or assistance would baffle all the efforts of her most malignant enemies these reflections kept the queen in great anxiety and irresolution and she was observed to pass several nights without any sleep or repose at last her settled habits of prudence and ambition prevailed over her temporary inclination and having sent for the duke of anjou she had a long conference with him in private where she was supposed to have made him apologies for breaking her former engagements he expressed great disgust on his leaving her threw away the ring which she had given him and uttered many curses on the mutability of women and islanders soon after he went over to his government of the netherlands lost the confidence of the states by a rash and violent attempt on their liberties was expelled that country retired into france and there died the queen by timely reflection saved herself from the numerous mischiefs which must have attended so imprudent a marriage and the distracted state of the french monarchy prevented her from feeling any effects of that resentment which she had reason to dread from the affront so wantonly put upon that royal family the anxiety of the queen from the attempts of the english catholics never ceased during the whole course of her reign but the variety of revolutions which happened in all the neighbouring kingdoms were the source sometimes of her hopes sometimes of her apprehensions this year the affairs of scotland strongly engaged her attention the influence which the earl of lennox and james stuart who now assumed the title of earl of arran had acquired over the young king was but a slender foundation of authority while the generality of the nobles and all the preachers were so much discontented with their administration the assembly of the church appointed a solemn fast of which one of the avowed reasons was the danger to which the king was exposed from the company of wicked persons and on that day the pulpits resounded with declamations against lennox arran and all the present councillors when the minds of the people were sufficiently prepared by these lectures a conspiracy of the nobility was formed probably with the concurrence of elizabeth for seizing the person of james at ruthven a seat at the earl of gowrie's and the design being kept secret succeeded without any opposition the leaders in this enterprise were the earl of gowrie himself the earl of mar the lords lindsay and boyd the masters of glamis and oliphant the abbots of dunfermling paisley and cambus kenneth the king wept when he found himself detained a prisoner but the master of glamis said no matter for his tears better that boys weep than bearded men an expression which james could never afterwards forgive 
but notwithstanding his resentment he found it necessary to submit to the present necessity he pretended an entire acquiescence in the conduct of the associators acknowledged the detention of his person to be acceptable service and agreed to summon both an assembly of the church and a convention of estates in order to ratify that enterprise the assembly though they had established it as an inviolable rule that the king on no account and under no pretence should ever intermeddle in ecclesiastical matters made no scruple of taking civil affairs under their cognizance and of deciding on this occasion that the attempt of the conspirators was acceptable to all that feared god or tendered the preservation of the king's person and prosperous state of the realm they even enjoined all the clergy to recommend these sentiments from the pulpit and they threatened with ecclesiastical censures every man who should oppose the authority of the confederated lords the convention being composed chiefly of these lords themselves added their sanction to these proceedings aaron was confined a prisoner in his own house lennox though he had power to resist yet rather than raise a civil war or be the cause of bloodshed chose to retire into france where he soon after died he persevered to the last in the protestant religion to which james had converted him but which the scottish clergy could never be persuaded that he had sincerely embraced the king sent for his family restored his son to his paternal honours and estate took care to establish the fortunes of all his other children and to his last moments never forgot the early friendship which he had borne their father a strong proof of the good dispositions of that prince no sooner was this revolution known in england than the queen sent sir henry gary and sir robert bowes to james in order to congratulate him on his deliverance from the pernicious counsels of lennox and arran to exhort him not to resent the seeming violence committed on him by the confederated lords and to procure from him permission for the return of the earl of angus who ever since morton's fall had lived in england they easily prevailed in procuring the recall of angus and as james suspected that elizabeth had not been entirely unacquainted with the project of his detention he thought proper before the english ambassadors to dissemble his resentment against the authors of it soon after la mothe fenelon and meneville appeared as ambassadors from france their errand was to inquire concerning the situation of the king make professions of their master's friendship confirm the ancient league with france and procure an accommodation between james and the queen of scots this last proposal gave great umbrage to the clergy and the assembly voted the settling of terms between the mother and son to be a most wicked undertaking the pulpits resounded with declamations against the french ambassador particularly fenelon whom they called the messenger of the bloody murderer meaning the duke of guise and as that minister being knight of the holy ghost 
wore a white cross on his shoulder, they commonly denominated it, in contempt, the badge of Antichrist. The king endeavoured, though in vain, to repress these insolent reflections. But in order to make the ambassadors some compensation, he desired the magistrates of Edinburgh to give them a splendid dinner before their departure. To prevent this entertainment, the clergy appointed that very day for a public fast, and finding that their orders were not regarded, they employed their sermons in thundering curses on the magistrates, who by the king's direction had put this mark of respect on the ambassadors. They even pursued them afterwards with the censures of the church, and it was with difficulty they were prevented from issuing the sentence of excommunication against them on account of their submission to royal, preferably to clerical authority. What increased their alarm with regard to an accommodation between James and Mary was that the English ambassadors seemed to concur with the French in this proposal, and the clergy were so ignorant as to believe the sincerity of the professions made by the former. The Queen of Scots had often made overtures to Elizabeth, which had been entirely neglected, but hearing of James' detention, she wrote a letter in a more pathetic and more spirited strain than usual, craving the assistance of that princess, both for her own and her son's liberty. She said that the account of the prince's captivity had excited her most tender concern, and the experience which she herself, during so many years, had of the extreme infelicity attending that situation, had made her the more apprehensive lest a like fate should pursue her unhappy offspring, that the long train of injustice which she had undergone, the calumnies to which she had been exposed, were so grievous, that finding no place for right or truth among men, she was reduced to make her last appeal to heaven, the only competent tribunal between princes of equal jurisdiction, degree, and dignity, that after her rebellious subjects, secretly instigated by Elizabeth's ministers, had expelled her the throne, had confined her in prison, had pursued her with arms, she had voluntarily thrown herself under the protection of England. Fatally allured by those reiterated professions of amity which had been made her, and by her confidence in the generosity of a friend, an ally and a kinswoman, that not content with excluding her from her presence, with supporting the usurpers of her throne, with contributing to the destruction of her faithful subjects, Elizabeth had reduced her to a worse captivity than that from which she had escaped, and made her this cruel return for the unlimited confidence which she had reposed in her that though her resentment of such severe usage had never carried her further than to use some disappointed efforts for her deliverance, unhappy for herself and fatal to others, she found the rigours of confinement daily multiplied upon her, and at length carried to such a height that it surpassed the bounds of all human patience any longer to endure them, that she was cut off from all communication not only with the rest of mankind, but with her only son, 
and her maternal fondness which was now more enlivened with their unhappy sympathy in situation and was her sole remaining attachment to this world deprived of even that melancholy solace which letters or messages could give that the bitterness of her sorrows still more than her close confinement had preyed upon her health and had added the insufferable weight of body infirmity to all those other calamities under which she labored that while the daily experience of her maladies opened to her the comfortable prospect of an approaching deliverance into a region where pain and sorrow are no more her enemies envied her that last consolation and having secluded her from every joy on earth had done what in them lay to debar her from all hopes in her future and eternal existence that the exercise of her religion was refused her the use of those sacred rites in which she had been educated the commerce with those holy ministers whom heaven had appointed to receive the acknowledgment of our transgressions and to seal our penitence by a solemn readmission into heavenly favour and forgiveness that it was in vain to complain of the rigours of persecution exercised in other kingdoms when a queen and an innocent woman was excluded from an indulgence which never yet in the most barbarous countries had been denied to the meanest and most obnoxious malefactor that she could ever be induced to descend from that royal dignity in which providence had placed her or depart from her appeal to heaven there was only one other tribunal to which she would appeal from all her enemies to the justice and humanity of elizabeth's own breast and to that lenity which uninfluenced by malignant counsel she would naturally be induced to exercise towards her and that she finally entreated her to resume her natural disposition and to reflect on the support as well as comfort which she might receive from her son and herself if joining the obligations of gratitude to the ties of blood she would deign to raise them from their present melancholy situation and reinstate them in that liberty and authority to which they were entitled End of section 22, chapter 41, part 2.